Hello and welcome to Mash Mouth, a podcast covering every single episode of the hit 1970s sitcom, Mash. I'm Ethan. And I'm Vanessa. Vanessa, hello. Today's episode is a very special episode, in my opinion, because it takes place entirely outside of the 4077 camp, and it's mostly them lost in the woods after their their bus breaks down. That's sort of the plot of this episode. So I wanted to ask you if you have any like camping stories or um, any stories of being stranded or like some car broke down. Do you have any stories about that? <laughs> yes, I do. So um, for the first, I want to say 22 years of my life, okay. my mom delivered <laughs> newspapers. Right, and, right. Um, that is a that's a job where um, your car breaks down a lot. So when I was younger, I would go with her sometimes. And um, she always had like junker cars to do it because it just destroys your car. And so there were several times where we broke down and mm-hmm. had to you know, call my dad to come fix the car or tow the car or some, something like that. And uh, one specific time we were in, I think, one of her newspaper cars and we were just like driving it around with my grandmother. And then all of a sudden we stopped. We got lunch. We got back in it. And then all of a sudden it just stopped turning like the the, the ignition mm-hmm. just like didn't work. <laughs> and when I say like the engine wouldn't turn over, like, yeah, the engine wouldn't turn over. But like you put the key in the ignition and the key would just like spin around it wouldn't turn the engine on so that was messed up but that's that's the time that i can think of that we were really really stranded because my grandmother was with us so we couldn't ask her to come pick us up um my dad was you know wherever he was like at work i guess because it was the middle of the day and then so we're just sitting there like well this is not good (laughs) so we actually had to call a taxi and uh like a a yellow cab taxi and come get it because this was the days before uber and stuff uh so yeah so that 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 was really funny i love the vanessa lore of you being <laughs> a newspaper salesman i remember when we were like 15 16 you would occasionally text me at two in the morning mm-hmm. because you're on your paper route and board which uh was always fun to see in the morning of like oh i got a text <laughs> from vanessa at 2 a.m what a, what a time to see yep that was my first job <laughs> <laughs> Um, I personally don't have many like car breakdown stories, uh, you know, other than on vacation and some things like don't start right away, like on road trips, mm-hmm. uh, but nothing like major, nothing that I, I've remembered over the years. But I have done like several camping trips with like Boy Scouts. And this is what this episode reminded me the most of because I hated those camping trips. They were the <laughs> worst. I hated being in the woods. It was so hot. The first time we did it, it was like with a good group of friends. And then the second year, I didn't know anyone there. And it was just like the sweatiest night of my life Uh. and like nothing but (laughs) mosquitoes everywhere. And like this episode had big, bad camping trip energy. So that's all (laughs) I ever thought about while watching this episode. Oh, yeah. No, camping. That's certainly not for me. I, I am not a campfire girl or just like a camping girl in general, I guess. Uh, but yeah, you're right. This episode did have a lot of camp energy to it. it did. <laughs> like road it did. trip, like RV type of energy. But with the added tension of being in a hostile Korea. Um, so <laughs> yes. that, that did add something to this episode. Let's get into it, actually. Yeah. So. In this episode, the bus, the doctors plus radar all get stranded when their bus breaks down while coming back from a medical conference. After several attempts to fix it, radar goes missing, a wounded North Korean soldier asks for help, and Frank is his usual self but in crisis mode. Uh, Vanessa, what did you think about this episode? I liked this episode. Um, It was interesting, like you said, at the beginning, it took place entirely outside of the 4077, which I always find very cool when an episode does that. Mm-hmm. I like when we get out of our typical camp setting. It also did not have a laugh track, which I oh, it always... didn't. I didn't even yeah. notice that. Yeah, it didn't have a laugh track, which I always think is quite interesting um, when an episode features no laugh track because like 
like we've established several times before, the writers and the show creators did not want there to be a laugh track at all and used it very mm-hmm. sparingly a lot of the times. So I always think that episodes that don't feature a laugh track are, I don't know, like, <laughs> I know we always joke about it, but like as God intended, yeah. um, <laughs> because the writers didn't want one in the first place. So I always think that these episodes have like kind of a special place in the writer's hearts when they don't feature any laugh track. So I mm-hmm. thought that was a pretty cool aspect of this episode, too. Story wise, it was I feel like it was just OK, but I yeah. liked the little interesting things about this episode. Yes, that's what I would say, too. I liked what this episode was doing from like a novelty perspective. I like that they're outside of the camp for the entire episode. There isn't even like an establishing scene where they're like in the camp and then they have to go to this conference and then the episode's like them stuck in the woods. It begins, as they say in in film school, in medias res, kind of like in the middle of the action. You know, they're they're coming back, which is very uh, interesting. I liked the like cinematography on the bus and Mm -hmm. I, I liked the general kind of escalation of crisis. But I just always, always, always am very annoyed at like sitcom episodes that have the characters stranded in the woods I feel like that's like a trope. I feel like that happens in a lot of shows. (laughs) Like that's a Brooklyn Nine-Nine episode. That's a New Girl episode. Like a lot of things do this kind of story. And obviously this has the added wrinkle of it being like in Korea. So there's different like circumstance. But like I had to move past my personal bias of not liking episodes where people are in the woods to kind of appreciate (laughs) this episode. (laughs) So I guess you wouldn't like the episode of The Sopranos where they're stuck in the Pine Barrens, huh? <laughs> I hear that's the best episode of the show, though. So I'm, uh, there's different It's certainly the funniest episode, I think. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, that's really interesting that you say that, too, because that seems like the, the stuck in the woods type of episode that you're describing. That seems like a very kind of almost generic sitcom type of episode where like a sitcom-y trope almost, where every sitcom just always features some type of stranded in the woods episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that kind of marks a type of shift in this show where MASH itself was this kind of anti-war sentiment, political type of show in the beginning. And as it goes on, you definitely... I don't want to say lose that entirely, but there are definitely more sitcom type show episodes Mm -hmm. as the series progresses in terms of things like this, where it's like its structure becomes more A and B plot. It uh, features a lot more kind of like goofier, typically like sitcom things. So it's really interesting that you kind of picked up on this like oh i really don't like this like sitcom trope type of thing for this episode i think that that's just that's just, that's just interesting and like i said the shift kind of comes with the cast change like and the changing of the decades from the 70s to the 80s so i just i just think that's very interesting that you brought that up no that's super interesting i like that you have the entire series kind of in context while watching it now so you can spot where this uh this change is beginning and even though i said that this is a very like typical kind of sitcom-y episode i think what makes it better than the average one like it's not like they're on a camping trip or whatever and mm-hmm. it's like oh you didn't bring the map or whatever they are stranded in rural korea which i think adds like more of the mash wrinkle to it like it's a mm-hmm. different kind of energy than just being like oh we're stuck in the woods and you know What are we going to do? Like, they have to also contend with the fact that they are potentially in a war zone. And that does come up in the the actual episode when they, they eventually do meet a Korean soldier, which we'll talk about. So I feel like it wasn't quite your stock sitcom episode mm-hmm. quite yet but it it I do see what you're saying where it is kind of transitioning into being more typical I guess with this kind of storyline so thank you for uh having that discussion part that's really interesting <laughs> yeah of course um I'm I'm really interested to see that progression lin- <laughs> linearly <laughs> because you know I, I I have watched the show so many times before 
um, but mostly like out of order, I feel. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see that shift just over time. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, like you said, this was not a typical sitcom episode. This was a mash sitcom episode. Yes, so let's yes. get into <laughs> the zany antics of, uh, of our boys. <laughs> yes, let's do that. So the episode begins, like I said, with them just on the bus coming home. And I like their little banter that they have going on. Uh, and I like that the bus, like, breaking down is something that happens, like, very naturally over time. Um, like, everyone's like, oh, you scared the woods? Ha ha ha. And then the bus breaks down. And they're like, oh, no. <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> and I like how it's, like, Radar's kind of responsibility to fix it. Because, I don't know, just Radar is just your overall, like, you need a job done. He's, like, the gopher of the group. Like, he'll he'll mm-hmm. get stuff done. Yeah, yeah. I noted that, too, where um, Radar is kind of the one to be the mechanic he's the one trying to fix it i mean it makes sense in context as well because he's like the handyman right he's the company clerk um and also the potential for the doctors hurting their hands is very real like fixing the yeah fixing the engine or tinkering around with it so it would make sense that he would be the one to kind of do it i also just have to say my 21st century brain got so (laughs) zapped with this because i was like oh my god imagine going somewhere and not having a gps on your phone or having a phone or and then when the bus breaks down they realize they can't really fix it they have to walk a hundred yards in like each direction they split up and go a hundred yards in each Mm -hmm. direction to see if they can find like a store or civilization type of thing because they are in the middle of the woods and i was like imagine that being the best option (laughs) i'm just so (laughs) spoiled with technology i guess (laughs) an absolute nightmare like truly uh especially within a foreign country and like no one speaks english um that would be quite bad and they're quite lucky that they are in a sitcom because uh if this happened in like a more dramatic movie or like real life, there's a there's a decent chance that they are just not getting home. But luckily our, our boys do. Uh <laughs> and with cell phones and everything, this happens a bit later, but but one thing that like reminded me of like, ooh, they they're kind of predicting cell phones is Frank <laughs> trying to talk to somebody on the walkie-talkie for mm-hmm. the entire episode. I was like, ah, he's trying to get cell service. And, uh, you know, they don't have cell service yet. Yeah, I think that this could still work today. I mean, obviously not in the same context, but like the Stranded in the Woods episodes still make Mm -hmm. sense today because, you know, cell service is not everywhere, especially if you're in the middle of the woods. So I think that it could still work. um, But this just felt very much of its time where it's just like there is no technology um, so I, I liked that. That always does something for me when <laughs> I'm watching a show pre-cell phone era, which is most shows, I think. Most shows um, are pre-cell phone. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. That, that Like I said, that just always does it for me where I'm like, oh, imagine not having your phone to tell you where to go. Tragedy. <laughs> but anyway, moving on. I think this episode does a good job of escalation of them being Mm -hmm. stuck in here because at first they're like okay so nobody's around let's just go back to the bus and kind of wait it out till morning and we'll figure it out then and they have like nice bonding moments i felt like (laughs) this was this was the first time we get like a real peek into uh everybody's kind of social life uh when they're young men do you want to talk about that a bit yeah i thought that this was a really good episode to kind of form like a bonding experience and bonding trip between all of our male main characters at this point sans clinger um mm-hmm. Ooh, he should have been here it would have been fun i feel if he was here but i think that it did a really good job of kind of a Kind of, like I said, doing that bonding thing between the the two characters, two or three characters who we already know, and also um, Colonel Potter and BJ, and putting them in a situation where we wouldn't necessarily know how they would react almost because they're new to us. So mm-hmm. getting them out of that camp setting, like we know how Trapper would be. We know how Henry would have been. All that 
I felt was interesting for this episode. So, yeah. like you said, there was this bonding moment where they kind of were talking about their first loves. I think it was supposed to be like the first time that they had sex, but they softened it a little bit. Yeah, a little, little bit for TV, I think. They wanted to say that not explicitly. And I thought it, uh, you know... The euphemism of it was kind of cute, the way that they're all like, oh, that was your first dance with love or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought that it was uh, cute, or I guess not cute, but <laughs> I thought that it was interesting that BJ was like, hey, let's exchange dirty stories before we have to go be civil with uh, all the nurses. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. And I liked that Colonel Potter also kind of joined in on this yeah. uh, this storytelling, like he was one of the guys. And I I also liked how Frank did too um, at a certain yeah. point because we so rarely see Frank just kind of uh, engaging in a positive way with the mm-hmm. rest of the camp or you know with BJ and Hawkeye. So I liked it. It was it was a fun time. No, I thought this was cute too. I like them just kind of being very sincere about it, kind of very open kind of gossipy you know i thought that was kind of fun um i i like that we only hear two of the stories first of all we don't hear like bj's story i think we don't hear hawkeyes and i don't think radar even though things are a little ambiguous with with him i don't (laughs) think he has a story uh within the context of this episode but i found it really funny that the two people that frank and colonel potter talk about are not people that they were like dating it's just people that they, like, came across, which was very, like, funny, a very, like, strange kind of thing of, like, oh, that's my story. I've, uh, I ran into this one girl from, from my school, and she was driving me home. That was Frank's story. I was like, this is, how'd this happen to Frank Burns? Her, who is this woman? <laughs> Frank Burns is a ladies' man, apparently. I don't know he, why, because his personality would not suggest that. But apparently, he he gets the ladies. Maybe in high school, he was like a really handsome devil. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but to back up a little bit, and it's also in this scene where they're talking about, you know, their first love. I thought it was really interesting the little tidbits about Colonel Potter that we got in this episode. Um, mm-hmm. because right before this, when Radar is trying to fix the bus and and whatnot, Colonel Potter kind of like just drops little like stories about himself. Uh he was saying how he was a POW, like he found himself in this situation mm-hmm. and he was a POW in World War One. And then he was also talking about also in World War One, um, his first like romance story about how he was temporarily blinded and uh, this nurse took care of him and whatnot. So I thought it was I I liked that we got a little bit more background on Colonel Potter and his experiences in war. Like being a POW, that's insane. Like that's that, that's, a, that's a crazy story and adds so much depth to his character going forward. Like I I must have forgotten about that because mm-hmm. I was like, wow, I can't believe it. And we've mentioned this before, that he is kind of an old pro when it comes to being in the army. And like the way that he talks about his his past experiences, I think, very much exemplify that. Because when he's talking about being a POW, he just so casually says, like, ah, they they shaved my head and beat me for days. And like, it's not even remarked upon. It's not like, oh, that's horrible. It's just a thing that happened in his life and the way that like going to the store, like a way you would describe that is how he kind of delivers that story, um, which I thought was really interesting and added a lot to his character. So you you are right there. I like the glimpses of insight that we get to see and hopefully get to see more of going into the future. And uh, with what you were saying earlier, actually, with like how we know that Henry would react to this feel like this would be an entirely different episode if Henry (laughs) was the man in charge. I feel like there would be a lot more panic. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, I think that Colonel Potter being so level headed in this situation, having actually been in similar circumstances before, like being an old pro at the a lot of army stuff. um, I just feel like it adds a level of almost seriousness to the show that we didn't get with Henry before. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, we we will not always be comparing the two of Henry and no, Colonel we're Potter, but when, <laughs> when it is very apparent, it is very apparent, especially yes. having just come off of so many seasons with Henry. But 
you're right that it, it brings the show to a different level and has a completely different vibe. Colonel Potter is very much in control, in command, and people, for better or worse, I guess, do what he says. Yes. Um, with what you're saying, we will, I think, as the show goes on, compare less and less to Henry. But for me, especially because I'm so new to this era of the show, like that is just my point of reference. I'm like, ah, mm-hmm. how would Henry have done? And I'm sure in a couple episodes or like at most a season, we won't bring up Henry as much. We will see. Uh, anyone at home, if you want to keep track of our Henry references, uh, we we'd <laughs> greatly appreciate that. Yeah, we don't want to lose all of Henry because, you know, it's easy, I feel, to mm-hmm. to forget about him. Not not really, but it's easy as the show goes on to not talk about him as much. And long live Henry Blake. Am I right? Long live Henry Blake. Also, I do want to mention the the chocolate that Frank was like scurrying away. Oh my goodness. <laughs> this was so funny and weird and like so in character for Frank that he, I guess unbeknownst to everyone else, has a, a bag of chocolate and I thought it was like food rations at first, but they do clarify that it is it's chocolate specifically. And he is just going to town like a little little rabbit on this thing whenever he can. <laughs> and even during their their uh, discussion of first loves, uh, Frank is like panicked of like, oh, what do you want? What do you want? While he's trying to eat this chocolate before he kind of comes around to be an actual human being again. Um, it was just oh so it was a weird runner. I enjoyed it a lot. But it was such a weird, like, character thing for him to have for this episode that he's just pounding chocolate. It was so on brand for him, though. Like, he would be the one to be like, yeah, no, not I. I will not be sharing my food rations with everyone who's hungry. No, definitely not. I feel I thought that we had seen this once before with him hoarding food. But I think it was actually what I'm thinking of is the Long John flap where he's hiding uh, the underwear from Margaret mm-hmm. and she was really angry at him like you've let me sit here this entire time cold while you're in right. warm underwear um, so very very on brand for Frank Burns I feel to be uh, hoarding the food and it being chocolate specifically is such like a six year old thing like he's such a child and that's my <laughs> favorite brand of Frank Burns being awful when he is just a little boy trapped in like a 35 year old man's body (laughs) (laughs) he just hasn't progressed socially like at all apparently so like i was saying before with colonel potter and everybody kind of following colonel potter's rules um radar goes missing at some point in this show which kind of just happened out of the blue like you said they were all telling these stories and we don't hear Radar is little like romance story because he's like, oh, okay, g- give me a second. I have to go to the bathroom. And then he goes to the bathroom and then he just doesn't come back. I mean, he comes back eventually, but mm-hmm. they- he's gone. And so Hawkeye wants to go look for him. And Colonel Potter says, no, this is dangerous. You can't do it. And I feel like not to compare to Henry again, but also to compare to Henry, it wouldn't have happened that way. I feel Hawkeye would have either just overrode what Henry said or it would have taken a lot more convincing and it really didn't take too much convincing from Colonel Potter that Hawkeye should not and he's saying like no he's putting his foot down like no you're not going out it's too dangerous yeah there's a lot of respect there and not that Hawkeye didn't respect Henry but obviously it's a different kind of respect like Mm -hmm. Colonel Potter just has a lot more authority to him and I feel like if Radar went missing I know that, like, Henry likes to play it cool, but in my heart of hearts, I I would know that if Radar was in trouble, Henry would want to go after him immediately. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like he's such his dad that it'd be kind of weird if he wasn't, like, protective of him. Um, But it it worked for Colonel Potter being, like, more rational, more, like, military-minded, less attached to everyone in this circumstance of like no you need to think about yourself you need to think about like survival versus like frank where it's just like oh who cares about radar like i don't really care it wasn't like callous you know what i mean it was like more you need to be in perspective here yes and i think that that's what i like about colonel potter is that he is very um like they describe him as regular army but he is not cold or 
uncaring about people. He just sees things from a different perspective. And that's not a bad thing. It's just different from what we've seen before. And like, yeah, that's that is one thing that I do <laughs> do mm-hmm. love about Colonel Potter for sure. Um, but I thought that this was having radar go missing, especially because we are not too far into the season was probably maybe a little nerve wracking for people uh, who were watching this, you know, live in the 70s because the show runners seem to have a proclivity of killing off main characters. Oh, man. <laughs> um, so that, who knows? It would have been insane if they were like, oh, Radar got shot and he died in the woods and we Oof. never saw him again. But that's terrible. Considering how abrupt and insane Henry's death is, like, you probably couldn't put it past them. So I I agree there. If you're watching this live with no context of, like, Gary Berghoff in however many more episodes, you'd Mm -hmm. be like, is this the end of of good old Radar? (laughs) Yeah, that's all I could think about um, when Radar wandered off, was that, oh, would the audience be thinking that they would pull, like, another Henry thing again so soon after? I don't know, maybe. Because, you know, we're in a transitionary period. Maybe this was thought to be like, ooh, we're going to cleanse everybody who's non-essential to the main cast. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. So Radar is missing, like we said, for basically the remainder of this episode. Um, But the other main thing that happens is that this North Korean soldier comes upon the bus and is asking for help because Mm -hmm. he is wounded. And I, I really thought that this in the tail end of this episode was really beautifully placed. Like it it said a lot. And I I definitely want to get your thoughts about this North Korean soldier. This is what elevated the entire episode for me. This is what took it from a semi-annoying, like lost in the woods episode to a mash episode for me, where it's like, okay, they, they kind of know what they're doing. Like this is a good story for them to tell. Uh, with this setting. I liked this a lot. They reused an actor from an earlier episode. I forget what exact character he was playing, but immediately I was like, oh, it's that guy again. And they don't recognize him at all. And it's like, oh, so that's how we're going to do it, huh? Okay, okay. <laughs> yes, the actor who played this North Korean soldier is Soon Tech Oh, who was in Love and Marriage. He was the one who was trying to be reunited with his pregnant wife in the last season, actually. Um, so that was that was cool to see him again. He is mm-hmm. unfortunately not the same character, but he is booked and blessed and working, and we love to yes. see it. <laughs> we love to see uh, people book and get jobs. Let's go! And he has such a kind <laughs> face. I really I like seeing him because he's got like such an expressive, like good face for uh, this kind of thing, especially because he has no English lines. Mm-hmm. I have to just say, though, so his introduction, he comes to the bus and he's putting his hands up. He throws his gun down. He puts his hands up. And Frank Byrne says he's attacking us. He wants us to surrender. And I just have to say, leave it to Frank Burns to say about a man who is doing the universal sign, the internationally mm-hmm. recognized sign for I surrender. I am not a threat to be like this man is a threat. He's mm-hmm. attacking us. Frank Burns should not have a gun in his hands ever. I don't think. <laughs> I I was so worried that like Frank would unprompted shoot him for this entire oh my gosh. adventure in this back half. I was like, Frank is just going to shoot this man randomly and probably by accident. And it's going to be terrible. And they're going to have to like stitch him up or whatever. It's like, no. And then when he comes onto the bus and they're like, all right, we got to watch this guy. We got to make sure he's okay. Frank, with his gun, for some reason, is the one chosen to watch guard (laughs) on him. And the entire time, Frank is, like, doing a dirty, hairy routine where he's like, I'm a bad cop. You don't want to get on my bad side, buddy. I'll pull this trigger like, you know. And meanwhile, this man doesn't even speak English, so he has no idea what what Frank is threatening him with. I thought it was so funny that Frank had to um, exert this, like, tough guy energy to this guy who does not know what he's saying at all because it's the only person who would like maybe take him as a threat because he knows that Hawkeye, BJ, Colonel Potter, they all know that he's a sham and a moron. So they're not <laughs> going to give him that like tough guy respect that he's so clearly after. Mm-hmm. But 
I do think that this was interesting because while Frank is on guard of this soldier or has the duty to watch this soldier, he is doing this whole like caricature routine type of thing of like what you would think a really hardened, tough military guy would be. And meanwhile, you get all of these snippets in the previous scenes of Colonel Potter, who would be this like hardened, tough soldier type of person. And he is not that way. Yeah. Um, and I think that this was the writers kind of subtly saying like, yeah, war is not <laughs> what you might think it is. Um, you don't have to be this war and soldiers and whatnot. They're not always these like really tough mega guys all the time and they don't have to be. Um, it's only warranted when necessary. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. I just I just really thought that this nuance between Frank acting a fool, basically, with a gun and <laughs> uh, Colonel Potter sharing these stories about his life in the two previous huge wars that America fought in was really, really well done. Yeah, it's like a commentary on like masculinity kind of in general. That there is, like, authenticity of, like, being very, like, a masculine man. And then there's kind of just fake bravado that Frank has. Where it's like, that's not real. That's not, like, what being a, a real soldier is. He's just kind of playing soldier, even though he's in the actual army. Right. And I, I really liked how Colonel Potter understood the necessity of having to guard this soldier who could potentially be harmful to them. And the way he took it of, hey, this is just a necessity out of precaution, and Frank took it as, like, yes, I th this is such a necessity because mm -hmm. this man is absolutely a threat to us because he is the enemy soldier and just just <laughs> being Frank Burns about <laughs> it, essentially. Um, so, yeah, I, I really liked those, those parallels. Yeah, it had, like, intensity. Like, I was kind of on the edge of my seat being like, is Frank going to screw this up? But it was also like, come on, Frank, what are you doing? We know you're not actually <laughs> this guy. <laughs> Right before this scene, too, with Frank guarding the soldier, when BJ and Hawkeye were patching up this North Korean soldier's leg, I thought it was really interesting that the show kind of made fun of itself almost because Hawkeye was trying to communicate with this soldier. He was saying how he was basically angry at himself that he had been in Korea for so long and he didn't know the language still. He didn't know any words, essentially. Mm -hmm. And BJ <laughs> says to him, oh, well, you Americans all think that everybody knows English if you just speak slow and loud. And they make it into a joke. But mm -hmm. I just thought that it was it was really interesting for the writers to include that kind of making fun of the characters up to this point not knowing any Korean. Because <laughs> we've talked about that before. That's come up in the show. They're like, it's so mm -hmm. stupid when they do. And it was so fun to, to see that like come up in context of this show, especially for the time period that it was produced. It was like nice to see that little bit of like actual commentary on the show's production and like how Americans can carry themselves in foreign lands. Um, I love that. That was one of my favorite lines. Uh, BJ's delivery of that I thought was very funny that he was like, uh, very authoritative about it, even though he's American himself, but he was talking like outside <laughs> of it. I don't know. It was funny. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was really good. I want to talk to you about this uh, specifically because it, it's funny that you mention that uh, BJ's delivery of this of this line, like he as if he's not American, it kind of triggered a headcanon for me that like, oh, maybe BJ is, you know, <laughs> not American. Maybe he's an immigrant or his family is Ooh. of like he might be first generation America or had come to America um, that his family is of immigrant descent. I don't know yeah, exactly how perhaps, to describe perhaps. it. Perhaps is a. His parents are British or something. Yeah, or like, or even, um, you know, of a place where, you know, they don't speak English and he just speaks English. Like, he learned English. I just think that that, because, like, what, <laughs> I don't know, why would he be saying it like that otherwise? I mean, mm -hmm. for comedy effect, for sure, but uh, I'm just thinking, like, oh, well, may maybe uh, this is BJ's, like, lived experience where Americans just, like, speak to him as if or speak to him or his parents or his family as if they know English um, 
just because they're speaking slowly and loudly. You know, I, I just thought that that was like, it was the first thing I thought of. I was like, oh, that's that, that could be so interesting. That's a that's your fan fiction brain uh, really working <laughs> it right there. It really is. I do love that like ultra nerdy uh, like <laughs> fan discussion kind of thing. That's my favorite. I think that's my favorite thing about rewatch podcasts in general. I saw this um, funny enough before our TikTok got banned permanently. Um, <laughs> I saw this TikTok um, about basically uh, basically saying that essentially about MASH of the show has been kept alive so long because fans like like to think of it in different ways through the generations. So I I think that that's I mean, I used to think that that was like real just me being like really ridiculous. But the idea that you can kind of keep a show alive by being like, oh, maybe the writers intended this or, oh, maybe the writers intended that or this character could do this or means this like stuff like that, I feel like does actually keep old shows yeah. alive. So I don't know. <laughs> the fact that we're able to talk about these half hour sitcom episodes with like so much depth, I think just speaks to the show like actually mm -hmm. being not just a good sitcom for the time or whatever. It's a good show. And no yeah. one will ever believe me. I can't get anyone to watch it with me. I can't get my mom or sister <laughs> to be like, MASH is good. They all think I'm weird because I do this. I'm sure your parents are like used to it by now. But whenever I, whenever <laughs> I try to break this up, they're like, that's kind of weird. Hey, listen, we watch MASH every single night in my house after Jeopardy. So Beautiful. I don't know. I don't think that they think it's that weird. <laughs> like a true old person. Uh, you know. <laughs> Anyway, so right after this, uh, Frank, of course, falls asleep while he's supposed to be guarding the enemy soldier um, who, you know, fortunately is not a threat to anyone. Yes. And then Radar comes back. And it's just nice to see Radar alive and well, I think, because of the anxiety of not knowing. <laughs> this gave me a lot of tension, too. Because I'm like, Frank is an idiot. He's going to see oh, someone yes. getting onto the bus. He's going to shoot radar. And then that's going to be a problem. But no, thank goodness. He was a different kind of idiot. And was just asleep while <laughs> supposed to be guarding this man. And I liked their whole like exchange that they had when radar kind of woke him up. That first of all, radar like finds the chocolate. And second of all, Frank is like... Well, don't tell anyone who's asleep. That's against the Geneva Convention. And Radar's <laughs> like, oh, the Geneva Convention. Clearly not having any idea what that is. Um, <laughs> it was a very funny, quick exchange that kind of was very harried. <laughs> yes, I liked that. Um, and then I liked that everyone was happy that Radar was back. And um, I forget exactly what the circumstances was, but everyone was shaking his hand and then the uh, North Korean soldier who like didn't know what was going on was also shaking Radar's hand mm -hmm. and I thought that that was just really cute but unfortunately Radar said that he went off on his own to try to find like a town or something like that like wander through the woods to try to find help um, did not come back with any help unfortunately no. and could have told people beforehand <laughs> yeah exactly um, but they so they are still stuck on the bus in the morning but BJ is put in charge of kind of guarding the soldier for the rest of the night. And then in the morning, we have a scene of the North Korean soldier kind of tinkering on the under the hood of the bus. And lo and behold, he is a real person and not just some enemy soldier. Yeah. He was able to fix the bus. <laughs> Which is very cute and very uh, a very fun way to wrap it up. Very uh, classic kind of sitcom, unexpected moment. <laughs> um, and I enjoyed you know, Frank kind of freaking out about it. But the second the bus is fixed, he's like, oh, OK, um, that's great. Yeah, time to get on the bus. <laughs> um, and I liked at the very end of this, actually, because like we said, the entire episode, he's trying to use the walkie talkie to talk to somebody to no avail. And they get like a second walkie talkie in the bus and they you, they have this soldier kind of just speak Korean into the walkie-talkie and Frank <laughs> thinks that he's like in an enemy channel and he's getting all their secrets <laughs> and even BJ is like well what what use is that to you because you can't speak Korean so it, it means nothing which is just all perfect kind of wrap up for this yeah I loved how they pulled this prank on Frank to make him look stupid because 
as they get moving again, Radar suggests that Frank uh, might be hiding some chocolate. And then Frank mm-hmm. says, oh, yeah, I just remembered I was hiding this chocolate the whole time or I had this chocolate the whole time. And he gives out the chocolate and stuff. So Hawkeye and BJ, of course, are like taking their revenge. And I thought that, that yeah. was very uh, a very good conclusion for this episode. Yeah, it was a very cute wrap up. I thought it all like came together very well. <laughs> Yes, definitely. So I didn't think this episode had a ton of great one-liners, but there were some that I found quite funny. So you go first. Tell me yours. Uh, One of my favorite lines was uh, Frank with his gun saying that, oh, he's an expert shot. He can plug an ace of hearts at 50 feet. And then uh, Hawkeye, just classic, uh, offhandedly says, oh, well, I'll let you know if we're attacked by a bridge club. (laughs) <laughs> just beautiful, beautiful Hawkeye little moment there. That was one of my favorite lines, too, because all I could think about was um, a group of old women yeah. coming out of the of the forest and the woods and stuff like the Golden Girls, like <laughs> under attack and stuff like that. Oh, God, it was so funny. An army of old women, but like dressed in <laughs> Mad Max gear. Beautiful. <laughs> Amazing. One of my favorite lines um, was when they were all talking about their first little, like, trysts. Um, And Frank was saying, he was describing the girl, and he was saying, little brunette of the Jewish persuasion. And Hawkeye says, I wonder who persuaded her to be that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that kind of of saved that moment for me. I was like, ooh, Frank's being a weirdo. And then the the Hawkeye line really undercut it being funny. (laughs) I liked that a lot. And... Um, this isn't a line specifically, but BJ and Hawkeye, after they scout uh, their hundred feet, they have this whole conversation about like different fairy tale characters who are lost in the woods. <laughs> Very uh, Abbott and Costello, like who's on first routine. And then mm-hmm. after that, Colonel Potter just goes, are you done? And they're like, <laughs> yeah, I think so just really funny like that was so natural to me like when we talk about the jokes being kind of in universe in character that one felt like they were they were having a good time (laughs) yeah i really liked that one too so vanessa do you have any trivia for us in this uh very special camping breakdown episode (laughs) (laughs) i do okay so this wasn't actually in our main discussion of the episode we didn't mention it But there is a point where BJ is in the bus and he is kind of just like peeking over it and just like making a making funny faces at Hawkeye. And then Mm -hmm. Hawkeye writes Kilroy in the dust in the window. Yeah. And this I was confused about. (laughs) I was very, very confused because I didn't know what this was in reference to. And I was like, Kilroy, who is that? So, of course, I Mm -hmm. had to look it up. And there's this whole legacy lore behind Kilroy. And I didn't even know about it. I did know about it. This is probably one of my favorite, um, like, art history memes. I, I kind of love this stuff. This, like, graffiti kind of thing with, like, an actual historical background. Like, mm-hmm. the, the silly S that people would draw in, like, middle school <laughs> and no one would yes. know why. And this and Kilroy was here. It's all like my favorite kind of thing. Just weird things that pop up throughout history. And everyone's like, I don't really know where I learned this from, but I'm just going to draw it here because I've seen it before. Yeah, I had no idea. And I'm so glad, like with all trivia, I'm so glad that I got to research this because it expanded my just my knowledge about things. And I I love that. Please, uh, please tell me more about Kilroy. I'm so interested. Okay, so Kilroy was here. <laughs> when I looked it up, it was described as a World War II meme. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's basically what it is. <laughs> and it, that is what it is. Um, so it's most commonly known as, like I said, a World War II meme that American soldiers would graffiti on things when they were deployed around the world, although its origins are, in fact, debated. The drawing, if anybody doesn't know... Look it up, but it is of a bald man with a cartoonishly long nose peeking out from behind a wall with the words Kilroy was here somewhere close to it, which is why it was so funny that it was featured in this episode or mentioned in this episode because BJ was like kind of doing the little peeking out of somewhere thing. So 
it was just a great thing on the writer's part to include. I thought that that was so funny. Yeah. It felt so natural. Like if you were going through like a history book of uh, like Vietnam War pictures or like World War II pictures, I can imagine someone would take a snapshot of this actually happening like on a bus with like a, a frosted window. You know what I mean? Yes, 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 definitely. So there's a ton of lore around Kilroy and famous figures who have apparently seen and inquired about the drawing during World World War II, like when German soldiers found the saying on American equipment, it apparently led Hitler to believe Kilroy was a code name for a high level American spy. I have. Oh, really? No, like, I'm pretty sure that that's not real. That's like lore okay. around it. You know what I mean? That's fun. I like that kind of urban legend, though. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think that that's true, like I said, but it's funny to kind of imagine, right? Mm-hmm. Something else lore-wise, um, during the Potsdam Conference in 1945, which was the peace conference post-World War II between the Allied powers, Stalin apparently saw the phrase written on a bathroom wall and asked his aides who Kilroy was. And like I said, probably not true, but so funny to think about. I mean, stranger things have happened. That's pretty low stakes. You can bet that like probably someone high up has questioned who <laughs> Kilroy is here, like what that means. So I, I believe it. I believe that, honestly. It's a possibility. I don't necessarily, I can't back it up. So don't don't go talking yeah. like it's historical fact, guys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but one thing I think is more substantiated um, than the other two was war photographer Robert Kappa noted seeing the phrase, Kilroy was stuck here, written on an abandoned barn Ooh. wall during the Battle of the Bulge during World War II. That's really cool. I think I've seen that image actually. If there's a if there's a photograph of it, that might be like one of the more famous historical ones. Yeah. There's also a video of a person writing Kilroy was here on the surface of an atomic bomb when it was being tested during 1946. Yes, I think that's also massively famous. <laughs> yes. Um, as I said, the origins of Kilroy are unknown, but many people have claimed they originated the signature Kilroy was here specifically, including James Kilroy, who was an American shipyard inspector in the 1930s and whose claims are kind of most substantiated. But there are also claims that Kilroy the drawing came from other countries and many and many other countries have different names for the drawing, such as Fu, Schmo, <laughs> Clem, Flywheel, Private Snoops, Overby, Eugene the Jeep, Scabooch, and Sapo. Oh, man, I love that. I love when art history memes have no origin and no one can agree on what the name is. To go back to the, the silly S, some people call that literally everything. Like, there's so many names <laughs> for that and no one knows where that comes from. It's just implanted in your brain one day. Yes. So more about Kilroy in other countries. Um, Kilroy was called Chad in the UK and had a different saying next to him reading what no sugar, which apparently was another well-known little meme saying in the UK at the time due to food rations. And the what no blank was also scrawled by itself and with. I've heard the what no blank thing before because that shows up in a lot of like old silent movies too, like mm -hmm. in the background of uh, like Charlie Chaplin movies. There's one that has a poster saying what no beer and it's, mm -hmm. it doesn't make any sense. Like if you're watching that now, you have no idea what any of that means. <laughs> yeah, if I hadn't looked this up, I'd have no idea what any of that was talking about. So <laughs> Kilroy is or was so well known that the English Oxford Dictionary defines Kilroy as the name of a mythical person. Funny. <laughs> Ooh, that's cool. In other pop culture references to Kilroy... Um, the main character in the Tennessee Williams play Camino Real is seen writing Kilroy is here on the wall and revises the is to was before his final departure from the stage. And I'm pretty sure the name of the main character in that play was Kilroy. And it was kind of saying mm -hmm. something about the World War II era genre type of thing. The rock band Styx released a 1983 album called Kilroy Was Here. And this is what I believe Ethan knows this little drawing saying from. Uh, the Kilroy drawing is featured in the opening credits of the 2009 sitcom Community with the nose of yes. the drawing forming the L in star Joel McHale's name. Yes, I was going to bring this up if you didn't. Um, <laughs> this is not the first time I saw the Kilroy drawing, but it's probably the most like notable because it's literally in the beginning of every episode of that show. Mm -hmm. And I love that show. 
And I just, I love stuff like this. This is one of my favorite things to look into. I love kind of going down these uh, Wikipedia rabbit holes. This is the kind of stuff that I thrive on. Um, because I, I, uh, I've gone through this exact research phase that you've gone through. I probably could have delivered this trivia, uh, if you asked me to. (laughs) Well, I'm just really glad that I got to research into it because like I said, I didn't know what this was. I may have seen the drawings, like it looked a little bit familiar, but I definitely didn't know the history of this. So this was, this Mm -hmm. was really, really fun for me to look into. And now you'll see it everywhere because it it did not (laughs) go away it's in a lot of things my great grandfather my mom's grandfather fought in world war ii and i would just really love to be able to talk to him and ask him if he knew this or like drew it anywhere or anything like that um so uh, i if you have anyone in your life who fought in any previous wars or just like listen to your elders because you will regret it when they're no longer here oh man bring it on to a uh, somber note but yeah i agree okay ethan so what was your martini rating for this episode mm. as usual when we're talking about this episode i i think i enjoyed it more talking about it than actually watching it and i'm faltering between a three out of five and a 3.5 just because like the novelty of being in the woods I think was really fun um, and added a lot to it and they had good commentary kind of stuff with this Korean soldier so I might have to overcome my personal bias of hating every episode that's set in the woods and (laughs) give it like a very generous 3.5 out of 5 martinis you know I had a good time with this one I think I originally had my rating at three out of five, and I think that our discussion bumped this one to a 3.5 out of five for me because of all the things that you said. I really liked, um, I really liked the background of Colonel Potter. I liked the commentary. I thought that BJ was just really funny in this episode. I know I didn't really go into it a lot, but I did just like BJ's presence in this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, just, just just a good time for me. I really liked this one. Yeah. We don't we didn't talk about it, but I just love the consistency of BJ just feeling like a nice young man. He just seems like <laughs> a pleasant guy to be around, which I can't even say about Hawkeye 100% of the time. <laughs> yeah, I think that that is a good summary of BJ's character. Just a pleasant guy to be around. <laughs> So, just to wrap up, we'd like to give thanks to Jacob Friabalco for being our technical consultant, Vanessa's sister, Melissa, for our awesome cover art, and, of course, our listeners. Links to our music, social media, and contact for the show are in the description, as always, and join us next week for Season 4, Episode 8, Dear Mildred. But until then, don't hide chocolate from your hungry co-workers, you absolute jerk. <laughs> Goodbye, farewell, and amen. Bye, everyone. <laughs>